the machines are, are 17 years old. Uh, the machines, you know, to the best of my knowledge, have never been hacked. To the best of your knowledge, you're the Secretary of State of Georgia, for Christ's sake. he doesn't know. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. They're unverifiable systems. How many times do I have to say Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM950, KTNF, and everyone in all of those states should listen to what we're going to talk about today. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me. Sometimes Desi says the same. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Hi, Desi Doyen. Hello. All right, closing the doors after the horse has already left the barn. Well, that is what we noted Trump's Attorney General Bill Barr seemed to be trying to do during his pretend anger following the death of Jeffrey Epstein, accused sex trafficker and friend of Donald Trump, and yes, Bill Clinton, in a federal prison that Bill Barr, as attorney general, was responsible for overseeing as this tremendously high profile case proceeded toward trial. As we go to air today, the New York medical examiner has officially announced that Epstein died from a suicide by hanging after he was removed for unexplained reasons from suicide watch and prison guards were supposed to be checking on him every 30 minutes, but failed to do so and apparently falsified records thereafter. But we will leave that controversy and the no doubt conspiracy theories that will go on will continue uh, for another day because I want to talk about the mad scramble that is happening right now by election officials to try and somehow close the barn door after the horse left the barn long ago concerning our nation's election systems. In advance of 2020, that despite years of warnings about their wildly vulnerable computerized election systems from folks like myself and my guest today joining us shortly, who has broken innumerable gobsmacking stories on this over the years, as many years as I've been on this beat, I believe. And that uh, mad scramble by election officials also includes attempts to secure systems which tally hand-marked paper ballots 
with hackable computer scanners and tabulators, by the way, which is to say almost all of them, almost all of them that we use in all 50 states. Yes, even in vote by mail states like Oregon and Washington and now Colorado, before you folks in those states write to me to explain how if we all just voted by mail, we would have nothing to worry about. That is simply not true. And also, too, uh, you should be concerned in key battleground states like Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Florida, as my guest will also discuss shortly. Now, some of you who use Windows operating systems may have noticed a major security update that you're being forced to make this week on your computers. That fix comes in the wake of a finding announced by White Hat Hackers a week or so ago at the annual DEF CON Hackers Convention in Las Vegas. As Forbes cybersecurity reporter Dave, uh, Davey Winder reports this week, he says security researchers at a firm called Eclipsium announced at DEF CON that millions of Windows 10 users are at risk of compromise by a critical vulnerability they discovered. According to the Eclipsium researchers, the issue applies to all modern versions of Microsoft Windows, which leaves millions of Windows 10 users at risk of system compromise. In a nutshell, what they found was a design flaw within the hardware device drivers from multiple vendors, well-known vendors, Toshiba, Intel, etc., that has the potential for the widespread compromise of Windows 10 machines that can allow hackers to turn the very tools used to manage a system into powerful threats, including to the Windows kernel at the very heart of the operating system. Mind you, the widespread vulnerability to attack is found on uh, brand new systems. But also older ones uh, that may use Windows 10 or that may use Windows 7. Imagine the vulnerabilities then in older computer systems that we rely on for casting and counting votes, which use Windows 7 or Windows 95, as believe it or not, some of them actually still do. Last month, in an exclusive from AP, Tommy Abdallah reported Pennsylvania was taking a big step to keep its elections from being hacked in 2020. Last April, top election officials told counties they had to update their systems. So far, about 60 percent of them have done so. But there's a problem. Many of those new systems still run on old software that will soon be outdated and even more vulnerable to hackers. An Associated Press analysis found that, like many counties in Pennsylvania, the vast majority of some 10,000 election jurisdictions nationwide use Windows 7 or an older operating system to create ballots, program voting machines, tally votes, and report counts. That is significant, they write, because Windows 7, which was first released 10 years ago, reaches its end of life on January 14, meaning Microsoft will stop providing tech support and providing patches to fix software vulnerabilities which hackers can exploit. Critics say the situation is an example of what happens when private companies ultimately determine the security level of public election systems with a lack of federal requirements or oversight. Yes, at the federal level, there are virtually zero requirements for the security of voting and registration and tabulation systems 
that are maintained at the state and county levels. Mitch McConnell has been blocking new election security bills that might add at least some small measure of security, even though matching bills have already passed in the U.S. House in hopes of uh, protecting the 2020 elections, Mitch McConnell is apparently not interested. The AP surveyed all 50 states and the District of Columbia and territories and found multiple battleground states affected by the end of Windows 7 support. Not many, just, you know, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Florida, Iowa, Indiana, Arizona, and North Carolina, not important states at all. Also affected are Michigan, which recently acquired uh, a new system, and Georgia, which, as we discussed in detail on our previous broadcast, was ordered by a federal judge on Thursday to get rid of their, quote, unsecure, unreliable and grossly outdated touchscreen voting systems before the 2020 election. That after she found the systems being used for the past 17 years in Georgia installed in 2002, were so old and unsecured that they violated the constitutional right of voters to have their votes counted as cast. Wow, those voting machines in Georgia are almost old enough to vote themselves. Yes, good point. And maybe they do. That's kind of a problem. As U.S. District Judge Amy Totenberg wrote in her 153-page order on Thursday, Georgia's current voting equipment, software, election, and voter databases are antiquated, seriously flawed, and vulnerable to failure, breach, contamination, and attack. Our guest on our previous show, the plaintiff in that case, Marilyn Marks, is also quoted in the AP story on the fact that many of the available new systems now not to mention, forget about those old ones, the new systems, they also use out-of-date, vulnerable operating system software. Marilyn Marks, uh, executive director of Coalition for Good Governance, is quoted saying, Is this a bad joke? After she learned about the Windows 7 issue. ESNS, for example, the nation's largest vendor, they have just completed their latest Federal Elections Assistance Commission, or EAC, certification for a voting system just four months ago using Windows 7. Heart InterCivic, one of the other uh, top three private vendors that handle almost all of U.S. elections, saw its last certification on May 29 on a Windows version that also will not be supported by November 2020. U.S. EAC Chair Christy McCormick said the use of election systems that still run on Windows 7, quote, is of concern. <laughs> you think that according to the chair of the federal commission that develops election system guidelines and I should note they are only voluntary guidelines, mind you. States do not have to follow them and most do not. And even those guidelines deal almost entirely with usability and functionality, not with security. Never mind closing the barn door after the horse has already left. Most of these barns have no doors whatsoever. McCormick noted that while election systems are not supposed to be connected to the Internet, <laughs> various stages of the election process require transfers of information, which could be points of vulnerability for attackers. As our guest Kim Zetter, however, who will join us momentarily, based on her recent exclusive advice, many of those election administrators do not even know that their systems are, in fact, connected to the Internet. 
Yes. Seriously. All the time. Susan Greenhall, National Election Defense Coalition, said that even the best scenario has election administrators, uh, administrators preparing for primaries right now while they are trying to upgrade their systems, which she says is, quote, crazy. Certification, which is voluntary at the federal level, includes no cybersecurity check, says AP, and the process often fails to keep up with rapidly changing technology. Kevin Skoglin, chief technologist for Citizens for Better Elections, said county election officials point to the EAC and state standards, certification standards, as, quote, rock-solid proof that their systems are secure, but they don't realize vendors are certifying systems under 2005 standards. Yes, that was the last time that the EAC developed any standards for these systems, voluntary or otherwise. Almost 15 years ago. Before the iPhone even came out. Yep. Local officials rely on their private vendors instead to build secure systems. And uh, EAC and the states uh, are supposed to enforce high standards, according to Skoglin. But there are no such standards. After the AP began making inquiries on this, Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon wrote to the EAC chair McCormick, uh, which AP notes has no regulatory power to find out what they are doing to address a, quote, looming election cybersecurity crisis that essentially lays the red carpet out to hackers. Wyden told the AP in a statement, Congress must pass legislation giving the federal government the authority to mandate basic cybersecurity for election infrastructure. His election security bill demanding a minimum of a hand-marked paper ballot for every voter in the nation, continues to languish in the Senate as Mitch McConnell will not allow it to come up for a vote despite passage of similar bills in the House. But of course, even those hand-marked paper ballots are tabulated on out-of-date optical scanners and tabulators that remain vulnerable to attack. NBC is reporting today that the EAC convened what amounted to an emergency security summit on Thursday. No rush. What are we, just five months away from the first primaries? On Thursday, in, uh, in response to AP's report, in order to figure out how to confront the problem that the majority of the country's 10,000 voting jurisdictions still run on outdated software. The hastily organized meeting, which included state elections directors, secretaries of state, representatives from DHS, election system vendors and testing laboratories, also touched on frustrations over low over uh, challenges that local election officials are facing in trying to secure their voting systems, as well as inaction from politicians in Washington. The Kentucky State Elections Director, Jared Deering, complained, we are talking about local communities having trouble funding roads and water bills, and now we want them to take part in defense against foreign and state actors? U.S. intelligence agencies determined that Russia interfered in the 2016 presidential election and have repeatedly warned about attacks again on the 2020 election. We have repeatedly pointed out that it does not take a nation state to hack into or manipulate these systems. Several state and vendor reps stressed the importance at this meeting of the EAC adopting a more streamlined process for certifying systems updates 
Certification needs to be a stamp of approval, telling us our technology is secured, not the obstacle to more secure systems, said Louisiana Secretary of State Kyle Ardwin. Well, apparently uh, he wants the EAC to work faster and, I guess, less carefully. But either way, it's clear that he believes the EAC should give them a stamp of security approval somehow when the EAC does not even test for that. That, in fact, is the Secretary of State of, of Louisiana's job to somehow assure the security of these systems. And I would wish him luck since Louisiana is one of the few states in the union to force its voters still to vote on 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen systems across the entire state. And by the way, you want to know how to hack one of those specific systems that they use uh, in Louisiana? which were developed and purchased over a decade ago, made by a company that does not now even exist anymore, just go to bradblog.com, look up the words little yellow button for a story that I broke in November of 2006 explaining how a button on the back of each machine that they use in Louisiana allows someone to vote as many times as they would like on those systems until... As an expert whistleblower told me at the time, back in 2006, until, quote, someone physically restrains you from voting. That's the secretary of state of, of Louisiana who is concerned about election security. How about you call for getting rid of those vulnerable, unverifiable machines you have been forcing on voters for so many years? Kentucky's state election director, Deering, said uh, that some state elections departments have only one or two people on staff, and often they're not digitally native, and we are asking them to take part in what is national security. Well, good luck with all of that. Now that we've computerized every aspect of our public elections systems, especially when many of these states and local election officials do not even realize that, yes, their main tabulation and election management systems are, in fact, connected to the Internet, sometimes all year around. As data researchers just discovered and as vice cybersecurity journalist Kim Zetter reported in a jaw-dropping exclusive last week, she joins us next on the broadcast. Never mind those horses. Buckle up. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. The woman accused of hacking Capital One last month, downloading the personal financial data, including bank account and social security numbers of more than 100 million customers and potential customers of the, one of the world's largest financial services companies, may have stolen information 
from more than 30 additional companies as well, federal prosecutors said on Wednesday. The AP reports that federal prosecutors said Paige Thompson, who was arrested in July after federal officials said she hacked the Virginia-based bank, may have also breached other companies based on information found on a server in Thomas's bedroom in her home in Seattle, where she lives alone with her cats. No, it does not take a nation state to hack into one of the largest banks in the uh, country or actually in the world, nor apparently into more than 30 other unnamed companies, educational institutions and other entities, according to federal authorities on Wednesday. As we reported in detail on our previous broadcast, there was a very big ruling in federal court in Georgia on Thursday regarding that state's nearly 20-year-old 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that are used across the state there, which the federal court found to be, quote, unsecure, unreliable, grossly outdated, seriously flawed and vulnerable to failure, breach, contamination and attack. Other than that, those systems are great. The judge ruled that uh, those systems, in fact, violate voters' constitutional right to have their votes counted as cast. But that ruling, at least for now, regards the state's old touchscreen voting system, which, frankly, some of us had warned was obsolete and vulnerable to hacking and insider manipulation years ago, pretty much right after that system first came out. So... What about the newer systems used across the rest of the country? Are they any safer or verifiable or less vulnerable than those old systems when it comes to how they are used in our elections? As we noted in the previous segment, almost all of those systems run on obsolete versions of Windows software or software that will soon be obsolete by the time the November 2020 election arrives. As Microsoft is planning to end security updates to Windows 2007 after the first of the year. But even if those election officials who met with the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission in a hastily convened meeting in Maryland on Thursday, even if they are able to deal with that problem, if they can somehow convince Microsoft to keep giving them security updates to their old Windows 2007 operating systems that appear to run the nation's elections, would that somehow make these systems more secure from manipulation by nation states like Russia or lone wolf American attackers like the woman who lives with cats in Seattle who hacked 100 million customers from Capital One? Well, not according to a jaw-dropping exclusive published last week at Vice's Motherboard by longtime cybersecurity journalist Kim Zetter. She is one of the very few folks in the nation on this voting system security beat who has been at it as long or even longer than me. For years, Zetter writes in this exclusive, U.S. elections officials and voting machine vendors have insisted that critical election systems are never connected to the Internet and therefore cannot be hacked. But, she writes, a group of election security experts have found, that, uh, found what they believe to be nearly three dozen back-end election systems in 10 states 
that are connected to the Internet, or at least have been over the last year, including some in critical swing states. These include systems in nine Wisconsin counties, four Michigan counties, and in seven Florida counties, all states that are perennial background uh, battleground states in presidential elections. Some of the systems have been online for a year and possibly longer, Zetter reports. Kevin Skogland, an independent security consultant who has been a guest on this show, he conducted this research with nine others, all of them longtime security professionals and academics with expertise in election security. Skoglund says we discovered that at least some jurisdictions were not aware that their systems were online. In some cases, the vendor was in charge of installing the systems and there was no oversight. Election officials were publicly saying that their systems were never connected to the Internet because, well, says Skoglund, apparently they didn't know differently. So even the election officials did not realize that their own systems were connected to the Internet. But the private vendors who installed them presumably did know. And private data researchers were able to find those systems online you mean it didn't take a nation state like Russia with unlimited resources to do so? Someone living with her cats in Seattle could have done the same? Joining us now to detail this breathtaking and really detailed article published by Vice's Motherboard is the author of the article, Kim Zetter. She is a longtime cybersecurity and national security journalist and author, having written hundreds of stories for Wired News, The New York Times, and now frequently at Vice's Motherboard, where in all cases she has broken uh, innumerable stories of great national import on the never-ending, seemingly never-ending security concerns of electronic voting, registration, and tabulation. Kim Zetter, welcome back to the broadcast. And first, congratulations on this remarkable story at Motherboard that, uh, you know, I thought I've, I've seen a lot over the years. Uh, this this one kind of really blew me away again, Kim. Oh, well, thanks, Brad. Um, and yes, you and I have been on this for two decades. <laughs> and I think, I think we're both pretty exhausted. We are, uh, but, but it's almost <laughs> fixed. It's almost done. Everything will be fine in just another couple of months, no doubt, Kim. Yes, <laughs> I, 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 I I want to get to uh, I want to get to that story in a moment, but I also want to get your thoughts on the ruling from the federal court in Georgia on Thursday, uh, where your work has has been very instrumental, uh, including the breaking of the news of the data researcher who discovered that Georgia's voter database and voting system passwords were just sort of sitting there online on the internet for months, maybe years for anyone to download. And this was before the 2016 presidential election. I wanted to get your reaction to the ruling from that federal judge who has now barred Georgia's unverifiable Diebold touchscreen systems. Finally, after purchasing them in 2002, they'll finally be barred in 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of anticlimactic because you know, the researchers have been, not the researchers, the activists who filed these lawsuits, mm -hmm wanted this to happen a long time ago and um unfortunately when they filed their initial uh, request motion mm -hmm. for an injunction 
um, it was too close to an election, and although the judge was quite sympathetic to the claims that they were making, felt that it was an undue burden on the state to have to switch to paper ballots right before the election. So she signaled, the judge signaled a while back that this was the direction that she was going in, Mm -hmm. and she's patiently listened to the state provide its arguments against all of this. Um, But ironically, the state is already getting ready to eliminate these machines anyway. Mm -hmm. That's why I say it's sort of anticlimactic, because these machines would have been um, grandfathered shortly um, in any case. But it might not have happened before the 2020 election, so this ruling is good for that reason. It's also good news, it seems to me, because there are many concerns about the new and similarly unverifiable touchscreen computer voting systems that Georgia is currently planning to move to now instead of a hand-marked paper ballot system, which... You know, cybersecurity experts and, in fact, the federal U.S. district judge in the case seems to be urging. Uh, But the the story that and and so she may have concerns. We spoke with the plaintiff yesterday, Marilyn Marks. She may have concerns the judge uh, about those new systems as well for some of the same reasons. But in any. Yeah. Yes, I, my uh, my understanding is that they will be filing uh, a similar injunction against these systems mm-hmm. as well. You're referring to the ballot marking devices that have a touchscreen machine mm-hmm. for the voters to mark their selections, but then it produces this um, paper ballot that has a barcode on it, and mm-hmm. of course the barcode can be subverted if the if the machine is reading the barcode and not the voter marked portion or mm-hmm. the voter um, the human readable portion of the ballot, mm-hmm. then um, that barcode can be subverted to say one thing and show the voter a different thing. And and the reason uh, well where I was headed with that question was that even if uh, those systems uh, the old Georgia system and then the new one that is set to be coming in, even if both of those are are barred, the story that you broke last I think it was last year on uh, on Georgia's voter data and and passwords just sort of sitting out there for download on the internet that wouldn't really be affected by the remedies in that georgia court ruling would it i mean that would be a a security vulnerability that could still exist in georgia or really any other state right yeah i mean it it came out in some of the testimony and depositions Mm -hmm. of the officials that program those machines that they they don't really know what they're doing they give uh, mixed answers they they contradict themselves in how they describe how they secure the the systems, how they um, conduct their processes. And it all feels really sort of flapped together, and now it's been taken out of the hands of that initial entity that got hacked Mm -hmm. and now put in the Secretary of State's office. And that's its own concern for political reasons. For political reasons and also for reason the the same reasons. It seems like all of this is so slapdash that these election officials don't, to some extent, even know what's going on with their own systems, which brings us to your story at Vice. The systems discovered to be online, you note, uh, many of them have been online for uh, a, a year or even longer. Now, these are not actual voting machines. These are back-end servers that receive uh, results on election night and, and manage the election programming and tabulation. Is that, is that correct? What, what do these systems do? Yes, so they're referred to as election reporting system and election management system. Mm -hmm. And as you note, the election reporting system, uh, some of these, some of the voting machines in the field at precincts have modems. And at the end of the election, um, the results will be transmitted via that modem. And that modem is a cellular modem, but the traffic, the data is going over the internet. Mm -hmm. That means it has to be received by some server on the internet. And so the researchers looked for these servers, and they actually discovered, as you pointed out, about 35 of them that are used for 
um, ESNS backend election management. If it was just, you know, sort of a box on the Internet that was receiving the votes, transmitted from the votes, that would be a security problem in itself, not only because you could potentially alter those votes. Um, they are unofficial results on election night, mm-hmm. and the official results are taken from the actual memory cards in the voting machines. But if you can alter the unofficial results, that's going to create a lot of mistrust mm-hmm. in the final outcome yeah. if they don't match um, the official results. But even if you don't um, alter those votes, that communication over the modem between that voting machine in the field and that back-end server that's on the Internet creates um, a channel for uh, infecting those voting machines. So someone who can actually install malware on that system on the Internet can, um, can design it in such a way that it downloads to those voting machines when they connect to that system. And so then attackers can alter that voting machine in preparation for a future election. But that's not mm. the only problem. No, it's not. So if that, if, if that was the only thing that was on the Internet, that would yeah. be a concern in itself. Right. But what was remarkable was that ESNS acknowledged to me that and showed me a diagram that they don't just put an empty box on there to receive the votes. Also connected to, to that Internet connection is the back-end system for tabulating both the unofficial results on election night and those official results that are later mm. taken from the memory cards. And there's the election management system also connected. And the election management system is used to do a lot of functions in elections. Um, um, among them is the actual programming of these voting machines before each election. So if you don't get to the voting machines through that little um, receptacle that's connected to the Internet, mm-hmm. you can get to that back-end election management system and put in malicious code that then, then gets transferred directly to the voting machines before the next election. So... Uh- to take this, uh, there's so many troubling things that you have just uh, uh, run through there, Kim. To, to take it out of the weeds, basically, these are systems that are on the Internet that are vulnerable uh, to outsiders, hackers, and so forth, uh, that can basically change elections, can change unofficial results, can change official results, could change votes themselves on voting machines. It raises a lot of questions. Among them, for example, how did uh, Kevin Skoglund uh, and his team of researchers, how did they discover these systems just sitting out there, again, in all of these, in a bunch of swing states, uh, battleground states, did they have some particular inside knowledge that would not have been gained by a foreign attacker or even that you know lone attacker sitting around her apartment with cats? No, everything that they used to find these systems is open source. It's available on the Internet. Um, so they knew um, because of a story that I published uh, last year in New York Times that the modems are transmitting over the Internet. They mm-hmm. knew that there had to be something that was receiving mm-hmm. connected to the Internet. So they found documents posted online. Uh, they're posted by a lot of states that actually give the technical specifications for this receiving, this receptacle. Mm-hmm. And it includes a firewall, a, a particular model of firewall made by Cisco. It includes a particular brand of FTP software. Um, for the transmitting of the results, and it includes a specific brand of uh, Cisco VPN software. Mm-hmm. So based on those exact specifications, they designed a sort of a search mm-hmm. on a search engine called Census. Census does a weekly scan of the Internet to find connected devices. Uh, we're not talking connected websites. We're talking connected devices like smart, smart TVs, mm-hmm. uh, surveillance systems, camera systems, and things like, it turns out, these election systems. 
And so they weren't actually even hopeful initially that they would find what they were looking for. They thought it's going to be so broad, the the search, uh, the search terms, that they're going to get thousands of systems. And that indeed is what happened when they looked for systems made by other voting machine makers. They got a lot of um, results that clearly weren't election systems. But it turns out that the ESNS footprint, um, this you know configuration of, mm-hmm. of precise Cisco firewall and software, only matched to about 35 systems. And when they started digging into these systems a little further, they discovered that some of them were um, um, using IP addresses that were registered to county government offices, mm-hmm. and they were also in districts that were actually using ESNS machines. So they were pretty confident that they'd found ESNS systems. And and that was, you know, and, and uh, Desi hands me a note here to say, uh, to be clear, there is nothing wrong with living alone with cats. And that is true. And the reason I'm pointing oh, that out. Actually, yeah. I, sh- I should clarify that. Yeah. Uh, she wasn't living alone. She had five. There were five people in the house. Oh, oh there were. Oh, OK. I didn't realize that. So <laughs> five people and cats. But, the, of course, the, the, the point of uh, mentioning that is that it does not take a nation state to do this, to, to underscore how vulnerable these systems are to anyone. And in fact, uh, Kevin uh, Skoglin and, and his uh, team were able to find these systems n- without any special knowledge or any really, you know, special hacking tools or something like that. I, yes. I, I think one of the most disturbing aspects, at least to me, of your report, if I understand it correctly, is that you found uh, and they found that uh, some of these local officials were not even aware that their own systems were online, much less vulnerable to attack, but that they were online on the Internet really year in and year out. If the local officials didn't know, is it only the vendors who had this information? Well, it, it's, sort of, it's, it's sort of a mixed, um, a mixed bag, and some of them are still denying that the systems are um, more connected. I, I, sh- I should start out, first of all, with saying what ESNS's response to all of this was. Mm-hmm. I was stunned when they, you know, handed me this diagram showing this connectivity. It shows the firewall, and then it shows these back-end systems connected to the firewall. Mm-hmm. And in, ESS's, in ESNS's mind, that does not signal connectivity to the Internet. What they say is the firewall is connected to the Internet, but all of those systems that are connected to the firewall that is connected to the Internet are not connected to the Internet. And that's a definition of Internet connectivity that no one in the information security community um, would probably agree with. I, it seems that ESNS has a very unique interpretation of what <laughs> Internet connectivity means. Now, the reason they say that it's not connected in their mind and their definition of the word uh-huh. is because the firewall is configured in such a way to prevent someone from actually, who isn't authorized, from accessing those back-end systems. And you can't actually see a direct IP address into those systems. You mm-hmm. can only see the firewall in front of those systems. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, a creative interpretation of Internet connectivity, and that's how they are able to then say to their customers that the systems aren't connected to the Internet because they have a different definition for connectivity than anyone else has. Well, let me, Kim, let me uh, make sure I understand that. What they're saying is, yes, the, uh, the systems, well, they're, they're technically they're on the Internet in that the, they, they can access the Internet, but because they're behind a firewall, that makes them not connected to the Internet? So here at my house, uh, for example, uh, or, or at an office or whatever, if I have a, a firewall set up, that, it, that would mean I'm not connected to the Internet when I'm using the Internet because I'm going through a firewall? 
using ESNS's well, no. so definition? It's, it's slightly different because those back-end systems do not communicate out to the Internet. So the firewall is configured in such a way that it's in front of these systems, and the systems can communicate with each other behind the firewall, but they don't reach out to the Internet. So it's configured to only receive traffic from voting machines in the field at mm -hmm. precincts, and then no information is supposed to go out. But that's only if they've configured it correctly. Mm -hmm. And that's only if um, the software on the firewall also doesn't have vulnerabilities that an attacker can use to basically bypass all of that configuration. Um, so they're counting on a lot. It's, it's that firewall is basically, um, as someone mentioned to me, it is, it is the wall protecting the entire democracy, you know, the, the, entire, <laughs> the entire democratic yeah. um, process, because you're counting on that one little a firewall, by, by the way. It's a piece of hardware, mm -hmm. but the protections in the hardware are only software-based. Mm -hmm. So it, it's whatever ESNS has told the firewall, allow this traffic, don't allow this. And so it's counting on ESNS to get that configuration correct um, to protect the system. If they do it correct then those systems are still connected to the Internet, but they are actually protected from intruders coming in from the Internet. And that's the problem with... Yeah, go ahead. The problem with this, however, is that, one, ESNS hasn't gotten security rights on pretty much anything that it's produced. The voting machines have been shown to be rife with vulnerabilities. The company denies those kinds of vulnerabilities. And so to have ESNS assert that they did everything correct is up for question. But let's put that aside. Let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say, yes, they did configure these correctly and someone couldn't penetrate them because of the configuration. If there's, as I said, a software vulnerability in that firewall, it doesn't matter if ESNS has configured it correctly. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that in June, January 2018, Cisco, the maker of the firewall, announced a very, very critical vulnerability in the firewall and uh, produced a patch for that firewall. So this is the kind of vulnerability that would completely bypass all of the security protections that ESNS would have put in, and it would have allowed someone to basically run any malicious command on that firewall, a malicious command that mm -hmm. could essentially alter the configuration of the firewall so that all of the protections ESNS put in, in the, um, wouldn't count even in the future if the firewall gets patched. It would allow um, attackers to erase the log showing what malicious connections are coming into the firewall. It would allow them to do a lot of different things. And, that and it would also allow them to plant malware that gets transmitted back to the voting machines when they contact them. And that is all if the system is set up correctly as ESNS, yes. the nation's largest vendor, uh, says it should be. Uh, but, you know, as with the patches on the Windows operating system, a lot of times these patches do not uh, make their way to the uh, to the systems to in this case the Cisco uh, firewall which I think uh, uh, Scoglin found a lot of these systems were not patched up to the latest security uh, yes so what I discovered in talking to uh, they had reported some systems nine systems as you pointed out in Wisconsin on in counties in Wisconsin mm -hmm. and I discovered um, when I was looking into it that that patch, that Cisco had made available in January 2018 didn't get applied to those Wisconsin firewalls until June or July of 2018. So that vulnerability was public. It had been announced by Cisco. And this is what hackers do, right? They, mm -hmm. you know, 
just because Cisco announces a, a vulnerability doesn't mean that the hackers don't already know about it and haven't already known about it for years right. and are already exploiting it. Yeah. But once once Cisco announces that, that means that anyone who might not have been aware of it is now made aware of that vulnerability. Yep. And so there's often a, this countdown, um, uh, what we call a zero day, a zero day is a vulnerability that the vendor doesn't know about yet and hasn't patched. So we don't know how long um, this vulnerability might have been known. But once that patch is available, hackers immediately start um, writing exploits to attack those systems because they know they're not going to get patched right away. Mm. And in the case of Wisconsin, this was 2018. It's the run-up to the um, 2018 midterm elections. And we know that at least between January and July of 2018, a known vulnerability in Wisconsin was not patched. All of which is uh, chilling on many levels. Uh, Kim Zetter, there was a uh, there was a sort of hastily arranged uh, EAC uh, field meeting on Thursday with uh, election officials who seemed to be uh, justifiably here in, in somewhat of a panic over security for next year's elections, including you know concerns about the fact that. Microsoft has said they will stop supporting Windows uh, 2007 in January, uh, on which some of these systems are built, or uh, even older versions of Windows that you know haven't been supported f- with security updates for years. I know that most of those local election officials, uh, to them, none of this is a partisan matter. But the holdup of Mitch McConnell of election security bills that passed the House, uh, that does seem to be a partisan issue. When you speak with uh, these local election officials about the lack of support they're receiving from uh, Washington, uh, what do you hear? Uh, or like, you know, McConnell and other D.C. Republicans like to say, is this an issue in which the federal government needs to butt out and let the state and local officials you know, run elections like our Constitution seems to uh, instruct. They don't want any help in dealing with all of these remarkably sophisticated issues, as you've detailed. Well, I think that election officials are right to feel frustrated because there's a lot resting on their shoulders, but they don't actually have um, assistance. They are running mm-hmm. federal elections, but the federal government um, has been hands off for a long time. And I don't think that the federal government should intrude on the the actual administration of elections, but they can set standards and they can provide those election officials with good information, as DHS is now doing, working with the states to secure um, their offices, but also to provide them with money because, you know, an assessment that DHS might come in and do once isn't going to be good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, what counties really have to have is the money to hire a security expert full-time that can train workers, that can be there for advice when things go wrong, that can actually double-check what the vendors, the voting machine vendors, are doing, because for such a long time, for two decades, election officials have really been beholden to what the vendors do yes. in their offices and what they tell them. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's a problem. There really needs to be money from the federal government that allows the, those election officials to really detach from the vendors um, and simply become consumers of their their product, but not relying on them to um, secure the products for them or answer media questions when things go wrong. Which, frankly, Kim, seems impossible. And I say that because there's, what do we have, some uh, 4,000 various election jurisdictions across the country or or more? can't remember what it is now. But 
These vendors, these private vendors, the largest of which is ES&S, but there are uh, several others, they have been wildly duplicitous over the years. They, they lie about their hardware and their software. In the case of ES&S, they lied to you about their remote access ability to these uh, systems for a New York Times story uh, you mentioned uh, that you wrote last year. It took the federal government, it took Ron Wyden coming in, writing them a letter, Senator from Oregon, uh, to get them to admit uh, to their lie. This seems like an impossible task, even in the best of cases, even if we put, poured a whole bunch of money, even if all of these rural counties could have their own IT specialist who did this uh, 24-7. This seems like an insurmountable problem. It seems like we are on the wrong track, Kim. Well, so, so security, um, you can never reach perfect security. Mm-hmm. So what I've described about having someone on staff and all that, that's sort of just one aspect. You're never going to get perfect software. You're never going to get perfectly secure software, perfectly secure voting machines. So you also have to then implement um, what those bills um, that Mitch McConnell is, is not helping to pass or is preventing from passing, right. um, those bills all um, would require um, jurisdictions to have machines that produce a voter-marked paper ballot and also then do um, what's called a risk-limiting audit of those ballots. And that's currently the only way um, that we have, the only method that's available, that would actually tell us if something has gone wrong in an election and could therefore raise a red flag for further investigation. And I, I want to point out that you know this isn't just a hacking and a security issue. Voting machines, software, um, fail all the time. We've seen this in past elections mm-hmm. where the voting machines have a so-called glitch mm-hmm. that caused them to drop ballots. Um, and those get caught by chance um, quite often, or, or they don't get caught. Um, they're just sort of these anomalous election results, and they never get investigated. Yep. So what really needs to happen is, in addition to the money to states, um, to separate them from voting machine vendors, to give them their own security expertise, um, we need to have mandated in the country um, this uh, requirement that the voting machines have this voter mark paper paper ballot, and that we have risk limiting audits. And 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 you really need that in order to depoliticize election investigations. Right now, we only get uh, recounts if someone has uh, either paid for the recount or if the margin of victory is mm-hmm. within a certain amount. And quite often, anyone who asks for a recount is accused of being a sore loser or, yep. is, or is accused of being politicized. And so what we really need to do is take that politicization out of election integrity and mandate that there's this paper ballot and that there's a mandatory audit. And so no one is ever then having to go out on a limb and say, I want to recount for this reason. They're just done automatically. Yeah, and even when they do have the money, even when they do ask for them, you can look at Jill Stein after 2016, yeah. one of the closest elections, with certainly with the most surprising ending uh, we've ever seen in a presidential race. She couldn't. We couldn't even get uh, hand counts in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. So, right, the courts intervened. Yeah, yeah. they did. Uh, and, and you're right, you mentioned glitches. I call them, you know, uh, and we see the reporting all the time uh, on election day glitches hiccups snags and snafus i call them failures uh you know (laughs) failures of the voting systems that need to be investigated but that becomes impossible kim before i let you go one uh, one issue that i'll i'll say is sort of syntactical but i think we find that 
in this uh, particular field, words matter. You referenced voter-marked paper ballots. That has allowed these uh, these companies and election officials to use these computer-printed uh, ballots, paper ballots, that they call voter-marked instead of hand-marked paper ballots. And and I saw this happen uh, years ago in a bill that was uh, being worked on by Rush Holt. I know you remember it well uh, in Congress. And I was uh, reviewing that bill and they were allowing me to make uh, suggestions and edits. And I had actually added the word hand marked and it was in there for a few uh, uh, versions until they suddenly changed it to voter marked paper ballots. And I was explained to me that that was to allow for the touchscreen ballot marking devices. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you need to, you need to have um, you need to have the machine marked ballots for disabled voters. Correct. So you you do need a certain percent um, of machines that will be set aside and used for disabled voters who don't have mm-hmm. the ability to hand mark a ballot. Right. But again, I mean, that's what we saw with touchscreen machines in the first round of this, right? Mm-hmm. Back in 2003, 2004. Right. That argument for the disabled voters then becomes the uh, not um, a machine that you set aside for disabled voters. It becomes the primary voting machine that everyone uses. Right. And those were the paperless touchscreen machines that we ended up with. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I mean, you, you, need, um, you need a broad enough language that, um, uh, that accepts that kind of machinery but you also need uh, a law <laughs> right. that says those machines will be used only for disabled voters right. and that the primary voting machine used in the precinct will be this um, voter hand-marked um, paper ballot. Um, you know, the, the disabled community, as you well know, will try and argue, well, that's discriminating against us. We should be given the same machines that everyone else is given. And I think that if that were to go to court, it's never actually gone to court a court would decide that uh, separate, um, uh, separate but equal does not have to be called identical. Mm-hmm. Um, the systems can satisfy both needs of the disabled and the larger needs for integrity and still provide all voters with um, voter integrity and the ability to cast a ballot in an equal way. Yeah, I always say we don't, uh, when we build uh, a ramp at City Hall, we don't tear down the stairs and make everyone take right. the ramp. Uh, right. Kim, Kim Zetter, uh, thank you uh, again for your reporting for uh, now two decades on this beat uh, and this important story at Vice.com. Exclusive, critical U.S. election systems have been left exposed online despite official denials. It is uh, a stunning report. Kim Zetter, always great talking to you. We didn't even get to talk about DEFCON. We'll have to hold that uh, for our next <laughs> thrilling edition. I uh, really appreciate you joining us today, though, Kim. All right. Thanks for having me, Brad. You bet. You can find her work also on the Twitters where you should follow her at Simply Kim Zetter. Okay, running late, so we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with our closing few minutes here on the Bradcast. Uh, maybe we will talk a little bit about DEFCON. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate 
and thanks. Viva Las Vegas! Viva Las Vegas! Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right, for the last couple of years, our uh, friend, uh, legendary uh, computer security guy, Hari Hursty, has been convening what they call Voting Village at the DEF CON convention in Las Vegas, which is a convention of hackers, essentially, and they've been... Uh, getting uh, voting systems and registration systems, computers and so forth, and basically putting them into a room and inviting hackers to come in and, hey, see what you can do uh, in, you know, a day or two here over the weekend. Here are some machines. Go. And every time uh, for the last couple of years that they've been running this, these hackers, some of them kids, children, are able to hack into these systems in like an hour or two. These so-called secure systems that we rely on to run our elections, our voting, our tabulation, our registration. So they put out a summary this year, uh, a few days ago, of just some of the things that the hackers were able to do in you know minutes time, hours time. And here's just a couple of them, a couple of the discoveries they made. The password for the ESNS Express Poll Pollbook, that's an electronic poll book used all over the place. The password is the name of the manufacturer, and the supervisor maintenance password is stored in plain text, text on this device. The Dominion ImageCast Precinct, that I believe is another poll book system, runs an application which already has 20 documented medium to high level vulnerabilities on it, including the ability to allow remote attackers to implement a denial of service attack. Oh, that shouldn't be any problem on Election Day. The Dominion ImageCast also has an exposed flashcard containing a file that, if manipulated, would allow for scanned votes to be redirected to a different candidate. Why worry? The uh, voting period on the AccuVote optical scanner can be reopened after the election has closed, allowing for any subsequent votes to be backdated to the original election. And they found a quick internet search reveals the supervisor and administrator password for the ESNS Automark system is available on the internet. Thank you, DEFCON. That is our voting system in a nutshell. Good luck in 2020. We got to get out. My thanks to my guest today, Kim Zetter of Vice.com, to our producer, Desi Doyen. Thank you, Desiree. Mm -hmm. And to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it and share it far and wide for free at bradblog.com. That is thanks to those of you who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. We rely on you and really need your help. Bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you in advance. Drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. See you there. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Either.